It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And as a reminder to you, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Well, folks, to close out the week, we're going to have herd mentality. Obviously, this week uh, was interesting because I wanted to get all that free agency stuff at the beginning of the week. The mock offseason on Wednesday. Then we kind of had some news there with the Poyer and Edmonds report from Schefter. Got a little herd mentality towards the end, but we got a bunch more to get to here today. So let's get started. First one comes from Nicholas. Nicholas says, I don't believe Brandon Bean when he says things like, there won't be any Von Miller-like signings. I don't think he can help himself. Thoughts? Could be a trade too. You know, Nicholas, I tend to agree with you. Not that I'm going to sit here and predict that the Bills are going to give a six-year, $120 million contract to anybody. But I don't think it's going to be as quiet as some people think. We were conditioned to think that last year. And then the Bills signed like 11 or 12 unrestricted free agents. Some pretty big moves like Von Miller and Daquan Jones and Tim Settle and O.J. Howard and tried to sign J.D. McKissick. They certainly did some splashy things early in free agency. And I feel like there's just a lot of parallels year over year where you're going in above the cap. There's some common sense moves to get cap space. You certainly want to get over the hump. You're not happy that you stalled out in the playoffs in the divisional round at home against the Bengals, right? The urgency should still be there to try to massage this roster and get it better. And so while I, won't necessarily sit here and predict that type of a contract. I do believe that the Bills are going to be a little bit more active next week than maybe Brandon Bean has tried to convince us he would be. I mean, I feel like he says this every year, you know, something along the lines of, I don't, don't expect a big move. And then the next thing you know, he trades for Stefan Diggs. I don't know. I think that uh, Brandon Bean is not satisfied with not being able to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. And I think that's going to be apparent through what happens next week. And so should be a fun week on the podcast next week. Don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. The next one comes from Lewis. Lewis says, how do you feel about drafting another Georgia quarterback on day three in the draft as a possible long-term backup quarterback to develop in the pipeline? I know it didn't work out with Jake Fromm a few years ago, but I'd be interested in taking a shot with Stetson Bennett, allowing him to develop on the practice squad for a couple of years, hoping that he can develop into a reliable backup. Would you be on board with such a move? There's some things that I love about your idea here, Lewis, and there's some things that I don't like at all. The thing that I love is the idea of investing in the quarterback position later in the draft. Conceptually, I think that's a good idea. You should at somewhat of a regular frequency draft quarterbacks the 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 if it works if if you get a hit it just means a lot for your football team whether that's getting a new quarterback not that the bills need that but 
you've seen other teams draft quarterbacks and that allows them some flexibility and you know you could turn that quarterback into assets right it's it's in the day on day three it's a pretty good idea so I'm in on that that idea and I'd love for us to not have this conversation every single year well who's going to be the backup quarterback the Bills got to figure that out they can't be one snap away from a disaster right with Josh Allen going down here's where the challenge comes roster ability to me, if you're going to draft a quarterback, then you're committing to carrying three quarterbacks at least for next year. And the Bills and most teams are reluctant to do that. That's typically not something you want to do. You want to carry more players in other positions. You want to have two quarterbacks and then one in the practice squad. So the roster ability question comes into play. If you draft a guy, you don't want to live in that world where you're afraid to release him, expose him to waivers, to get him back on the practice squad. If he's a meaningful player, you want him on your roster, but you also don't want to be one snap away from a day three rookie having to come in and play for your football team. So that's some of the stuff that I really want to balance out with this. Now, can you make a concession at a certain position for a year and see how this plays out? Yeah, I think that's probably not a bad idea. So I like your idea. The roster ability component concerns me. But what I don't like is the idea of Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, the quarterback from Georgia, I know he won the last two national championships, and that means something. And there's likable, redeeming qualities with a Stetson Bennett. We're talking about a 25-year-old college quarterback that's five foot 11, 190 pounds, that has marginal physical tools. He was recently arrested for public intoxication. Stetson Bennett's a hard pass for me, but there's going to be other quarterbacks that on day three. I think would make a lot of sense. So I like the idea, concerned about the roster ability, don't love Stetson Bennett. L. Batman has the next question who says, just a general question on the scouting process. When scouting players, college and pro, do you put any emphasis on when the play is made? For example, is a 20-yard touchdown late in the fourth quarter of a tight game graded differently than a 20-yard touchdown late in the fourth quarter of a blowout? Fun question here. Um, I want to answer this question by telling you about a few different experiences that I've had in the last couple of years and then kind of get back to where you're going with this. But um, the, the context of the question is, look, does the timing and the magnitude of the moment in which a play was or wasn't made influence the scouting? Well, I had a, um, a meeting a few years ago uh, with a, a senior personnel executive for one of the best teams in the NFL currently. And we were talking about offensive linemen um, that we liked in the draft. And he, it was funny because he asked us, it was, it was Kyle Krabs and I, he asked us, he said, what offensive linemen do you like in this draft, right? And so we gave him a name. And what was the first question that he asked? And remember, this is an offensive lineman. He said, what's he like in two minutes? And you want to talk about deer caught in the headlights. I was like, what? What's he like in two minutes? I've never thought about that for an offensive lineman. I just look at how they block their, you know, their technique, their fundamentals, their body composition, how they bend, how they move, the power, like just the traits that I normally look at. Never considered, well, well how do they perform in two minutes? Well, since then I have, but it's it's a meaningful moment, right? You're you're gonna be in those high stress moments you really reveal who you are as a football player. So yes, the timing of those types of things do 
matter. I did an interview with Ozzie Newsom, Hall of Famer, you know, longtime general manager with the Baltimore Ravens. Last summer, I had a chance to interview Ozzie Newsom, one of the highlights of my career. And one of the questions that I asked him was, you know, when you're looking for a Baltimore Raven, like what are some of those non-negotiables for you? Not necessarily size thresholds or a skill set, but what are the non-negotiables about the way they play and characteristics of them? He said, I want to know how they perform away from the ball. When you're a backside corner on a run play, how do you respond? If you're a backside wide receiver on a run play, how do you block? If you're a safety on a play that it's an up-the-middle run that's tackled for a two-yard gain, what are your fundamentals like? What's your energy and your effort like? So, yes, all of that type of stuff matters. And the last thing that I'll mention here is I did another film study recently, actually a few months ago, with uh, a current national scout for an NFL team who was also a former NFL cornerback. And we were having a good time watching. We watched actually a, a bunch of different players. And he has the ability to create reels, right? He has this really cool video system that he can go through. And if he's watching a quarterback, he can, he can filter it any way he wants. He's like, if I want every uh, throw that was 20 yards or more down the field, he can create a very quick reel for whatever you know range of games he wants. And so we were watching um, a tight end, actually. And the first reel that he put together was all of the turnovers, not the turnovers that that tight end committed, but any play that that player was on the field for a turnover, whether it was a fumble or an interception by the offense. And he wanted to see what the effort was like in those moments. So if a ball got picked off, what was the pursuit effort to try to make a tackle? If there was a ball loose on the ground for a fumble and it exchanged possessions, what was that player's effort like to get to the football? So yes, magnitude and moment all matters, but these are the types of minutiae that people who are making decisions in the NFL and influencing decisions in the NFL are caring about. So yes, to answer your question, is a 20-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter of a tight game different than a 20-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter of blowout? Absolutely, because what's really going to make you a great evaluator is leaning into those critical moments, those really, really high-stakes moment, and seeing how players act and respond. And so hopefully that was a good answer to your question there. But when you asked that, it really reminded me of those three experiences. And I want to share them with you here on the podcast. Speaking of sharing, one thing I want to share with you is some information about the best-tasting protein bars on the planet. We're talking about Built Bars. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and the calories. Well, then you got to try a Bilt Bar. In fact, I just ate one earlier today. This is the wrapper of the uh, lemon dipped cheesecake puff. I'm a big fan of that. I love the puffs. And they're delicious and they're healthy. Like, that's the fun thing about Bilt Bars. They're delicious because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They have tons of great flavors. I mean, it's like you're eating a candy bar or a dessert, but then they're healthy for you. And we're talking about only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. And here's the deal, folks. You can order them at Built.com, but you can also pick them up off the shelf at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. So check them out, Built.com, Walmart, Sam's Club. You'll thank me later because they truly are the best-tasting protein bars on the planet, and they're very, very healthy.
All right. The next one today comes from Paul. Paul says, what is the, what is the ideal outcome for Khalil Shakir? I think all Bills fans agree we need an upgrade at wide receiver too, but I think this question is important to answer before we can figure out what we're looking for in free agency in the draft. Do we want him to take over the slot role? Does his speed make him better on the outside? Do we think he can be a do-everything type of player? Could he eventually become our number one after digs? Would love to get your thoughts on this. It's a good question, Paul, and appreciate the context of asking this question. Khalil Shakir is a player that I'm very optimistic about. I liked him a lot coming out of Boise State. I had a, a day two grade on him. I, if the Bills picked him in the third round, I, th- I thought that would have been a great pick, to be honest with you. I wish the Bills would have picked him in the third round over Terrell Bernard. So when the Bills got him in the fifth round, I was like, wow, very exciting. Everybody that you talk to from Boise State raves about his character and his family and what type of dude he is. And you like the skill set, route running's there, yards after catch. He's got some speed and athleticism, decent size really competitive at the catch point, good hands. And you feel like this can be a meaningful weapon for an NFL offense. I'm surprised he fell. I really am to the fifth round. That certainly makes me ask a few questions, but I, I mean, the skill set's the skill set. I like it. I think what I like about Khalil Shakir is he can fit a bunch of different roles. Do I think he's got a bright future as a slot? Yeah. Do I think he can win on the outside? Yeah. Do I think he can win at all three levels of the field? Yeah. And that's what's exciting about him. Now, you don't want to go into this thing with all your eggs in the basket of Khalil Shakur being your wide receiver too next year or your slot, but I think it's appropriate to be thinking about his opportunity and volume within the offense ramping up to see what type of player he can be for you when you're likely going to have to lose Gabe Davis after next season. And giving him more and more run and opportunity within the offense, and you saw that kind of peak up towards the end of the year, right? The two playoff games, Shakir had quite a bit of opportunity and catches. So I, I even McDermott, when he was asked about the wide receivers, he talked about Shakir. So I think the trajectory and the arrow here is pointing up, but there's still that part of me that's like, you can't have all your eggs in that basket. He's too unproven in the NFL. I like his skill set. I like what he can be. But I think it's dangerous to say, okay, Khalil Shakir for sure is our slot receiver next year. I think he can be. There's a path for it, but I'd want some good hedges along the way to make sure you didn't put all your eggs in that one basket. So I'm, but all that to say, I'm very optimistic on Khalil Shakir, and I love that he's working out with Eric Molds uh, right now this offseason. Daryl says the consensus is that the Bills need to get interior offensive line help or help at wide receiver in the first round. I'm not sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. There will be guys at either position who are first-round values at 27. Same here. I have the same concern you do, Daryl. With safety also being a possible need, what are your thoughts on drafting Keely Ringo at 27 if he's there to be a Poirier replacement? So Keely Ringo is a a corner. He played corner at Georgia. Uh, Big-time recruit, had a pretty good career. This is a fun question because this really this really challenges my thoughts on Keely Ringo in new ways because I haven't fully considered him as a safety yet. I've always been concerned about him in certain schemes at corner because for as athletic as he is linearly, he's very explosive. He he has some really high level moments on tape. That ability to close distances quickly while changing directions and being really sticky in coverage, I didn't really see that for him. 
So I always thought of him more as a zone cover, cover three, you know, quarters type defense, one that's going to want to run a lot of zone where that length and uh, ability to not have to really open the hips and transition quite as much would be limited. But when you talk about him as a safety, I kind of perk up a little bit, and I feel like maybe that's his best spot in the NFL. What's challenging for me is leaning into that type of projection with your first-round pick. If I draft a safety in the first round, I'd like to know that I'm getting a safety in the first round. You know, all of that with Keely Ringo is projection-based, and that kind of scares me off in the first round. I like your idea, and I know the Bills like players at corner, excuse me, players at safety that have corner experience. Like, he'll be better for it. But as your player replacement in year one, do you want to trust a rookie that's changing to a new position? That's where I get some pushback in my own head. So, fun question. I like the idea. I don't know about pick 27 with it being tabbed as the Poyer replacement. That's where I kind of get hung up on that. Next one comes from Becky. Becky says, wanted to ask about the Bills coaching changes and whether collectively this may or may not be a, a signal for a potential change in defensive approach or style. Obviously, McDermott is still leading the direction, but firing the safeties coach, Leslie Frazier taking a year off, et cetera, it seems like that might happen. Maybe. I'll say that maybe. I certainly think you'll see a different type of – I'm not sure the scheme will be all all that different, but the way that Sean McDermott deploys the scheme, if he's the play caller, might be a little bit different. But I think the more than the coaching changes, right? Like a new safeties coach and a new, you know, obviously Frazier's gone. You think McDermott or somebody on staff is going to become the play caller. I mean, you got Al Holcomb part of the mix now. I think more than the coaching shifts, it'll be about the personnel decisions. The The best clues for a change in approach or style of play is going to come from what players they bring in and what skill sets they represent and how that all fits together. So the answer here for me is maybe, and let's revisit this after free agency in the draft to really get an idea of what skill sets they brought in and what that tells us for clues about what the approach and scheme will be moving forward. Now, folks, we have a fun question coming up here in just a moment about how I became the podcast or the host of this podcast and actually a a really fun draft question uh, from Andrew all coming up here. Just need a quick break. Give me a second. I'll be right back. All right. The next one today comes from Sarah. Sarah had a question. He said, I, she said, I have a non-football herd mentality question. How did you become a Bills fan and host of Locked On Bills? Did you get a degree in journalism or just jump right into the field? I am a journalism student at the University of Kentucky and love hearing how my favorite journalists got to where they are today. Fun question, Sarah. Appreciate you asking and give me an opportunity to kind of share some details here. Um, So first of all, how did I become a Bills fan? Well, I was born in Western New York. I was born in Buffalo Children's Hospital, and then I grew up on Grand Island until I was 11 years old. And then my family moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And of course, I'm 11 years old. I'm coming with them. And uh, we moved to Charlotte. So despite not living in Buffalo, I used to live in Buffalo. And obviously, the Buffalo Bills fandom uh, has absolutely not escaped me. Uh, I, I love being a Bills fan. It's one of my favorite things uh, about my life. You know, I, I love watching the Bills. I love following the Bills. And to get to do this podcast is just an unbelievable joy for me. 
So how did I become the host of this podcast? Well, I had an established relationship with Locked On. And so when Locked On Bills became available, I asked to be considered. And I got the opportunity. But I will say, and I've said this before, you know, I had done football media, and I'll get into that in just a second, for a number of years. And I've always done some Bills stuff, but never like a, a huge emphasis of what I did. And that's because I was nervous to do it, especially, you know, in that time we're talking about the 2010s, right? The Bills changing coaches every year, can't find a quarterback, never make the playoffs. I, I didn't know how my voice would be received um, because I really disagreed fundamentally with so much what, with what was going on with the team. Now, right now, I don't feel that same way. I like so much about what's going on, so I have a lot of good, fun things to say. But I often said if I was the the host of this podcast when Dick Duran was the head coach or Rex Ryan was the head coach or, you know, even Chan Gailey to an extent, like, you know, like we might, we might have a little different situation here. So I, I think my timing was really good, uh, but I was nervous about it. I didn't know how it was going to be received. I, my, my perception of Bill's conversation was really WGR. And I listened to the callers call in and I'm like, really, I don't, I don't really line up with that. I don't know if I would want to be, uh, part of this on a regular basis. And when that opportunity came available, I said, you know what, I'm just going to see what happens. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, uh, I'll be okay. Um, and this podcast has absolutely worked for me. I've said multiple times it changed my life. Uh, it's allowed me to author two books on the Buffalo Bills. Are you kidding me? Uh, it's been so cool. Uh, so I'm glad I did it. I'm glad that I was willing to get outside my comfort zone and I put some of my fears aside about how I would be received by Bill's Mafia, and it's been unbelievable. So that's, I mean, I'm so thankful. I, I love that so much. Uh, and then the last question was, how did I get into football media? Well, I I freelanced, so I do not have a journalism degree. I do not. Um, I went to school uh, for business management. And my path to football media was, while I'm working in business management for a long time, I freelanced for a number of years, just, you know, wrote articles, did some podcasting, really focused on um, building some relationships, developed a presence on social media, uh, obviously established a portfolio of work and opportunities came. And so when I finally got to the point where I was like, you know what, I think I'm ready to do this. Like, I don't have to work another job anymore. I can just do football things. You know, I took that leap and part of that was like just believing that if I had more time to dedicate for it, that it would take off. And, and that's what happened. But no, I went to school for business management. I worked in business management for a long, long time, freelanced simultaneously, uh, networked, built relationships, developed a social media presence, developed a portfolio. And, and through that, opportunities came. So uh, my path is going to be different than yours. You're going to go to school for journalism. You are, you're going to graduate. Um, you're going to land a job out of school and you're going to be very successful. My path was very, very different. And I think that's, what's fun about all the people that I've ever talked to about my path and their path is they're all different. Um, and, um, it feels like for pretty much everyone, they're really happy that they explored this career. And it's, it's really fun talking football and, uh, getting to do something that you're passionate about. So I, I think that's, I think that answers your question. I appreciate you asking it. Uh, next one here is from Andrew, and Andrew has a fun one here, so st stick with us here. It's it's a little bit long, but it's worth it. <clears throat> Clear my throat for this. Andrew says, Bills Mafia sees it coming in round one of the 2023 NFL Draft. 
they know that Brandon Bean is obsessed with making Spencer Brown a quality starting right tackle. Knowing that Brown will start, Bean makes a move that will ensure Brown is set up for success. In 2022, his plan fell apart when he acquired O.J. Howard. He thought he had an athletic tight end, but as training camp progressed, he realized O.J. had passed his prime. 2022 ended up a disappointment for Brown. Bean has to fix the issue. How do you make Spencer Brown better? You put a freak tight end next to him. Arnell Washington is on the board, and the Bills sprint to submit his name. The Bills now have two freak athletes next to each other. Is Darnell in to block for Cook or to run a pass play? Every defensive end that faces Brown and Washington is going to have nightmares. How will coordinators address the athleticism of Knox and Washington in a two-tight end set? Ken Dorsey remembers the loss to Miami. He goes crazy again at the NFL draft by spiking Microsoft tablets in celebration. He is convinced that he will now silence all of his critics. He now has playmakers that will get him 34 points per game. Diggs, Davis, Shakir, Robert Woods, Knox, Washington, Cook, and rookie Mingo. I guess Jonathan Mingo, the rookie wide receiver from Ole Miss. By the way, Darnell Washington's a rookie, uh, going to be a rookie tight end out of Georgia. Uh, he is out to prove he is creative and can make changes when adversity hits him in 2023. Bean shows his negotiating skills to start free agency by trading away at Oliver to replace him. He acquires Javon Hargrave and picks up a third-round pick and selects a quality defensive tackle. <laughs> that, that's really funny. He goes on to say, I really enjoyed your podcast today. I listen every day. My only changes to your podcast would be uh, these two players, and I think he's referring to the mock-off season. I believe you picked up a defensive tackle in free agency. He could be scratched for Hargrave. I'm hoping he could use the $10 million in salary cap savings by trading Oliver to pick up Hargrave. Do you think Washington will be a superstar for the Bills or just a good starting tight end? So that's that was a fun little soliloquy to get to the, to the bottom line here. What do I think about Darnell Washington and him being a Buffalo Bills option to pick 27? Well, first of all, Darnell Washington, tight end Georgia. He's a monster, like almost 6'7", almost 270 pounds, crazy length, like over 11-inch hands. I mean, he's a physical freak. And first of all, he blocks like it. And I know that nobody gets excited about talking about blocking ability for tight ends, but, I mean, Darnell Washington's a really good blocker, both in pass pro and in the run game. And that matters. You want to run outside zone in the NFL, your tight end better be able to win the edge. And, you know, part of the conversation that I had with John Fina a couple of weeks ago on the podcast was talking about, like, just using too many little people um, on the edges to to block. And, and Darnell Washington's going to elevate your blocking from day one. He's ready to go. He's going to be really good at that. But, I mean, this guy's also really athletic, and he's a really good pass catcher. And what I really like about Darnell Washington is his ability to beat zone coverage. He's very smart. He understands coverage rotations. He knows where to sit. He knows how to make himself available. And so as the true inline tight end, I really would, I would love him on any team. He's going to make any team better. And of course, if you're really going to run more 12 personnel, being more versatile with a Dawson Knox, that becomes possible because you have Darnell Washington. Here's where it gets tricky. You talk about the first round. Is he going to provide enough production that you are satisfied with what you get out of him? Because to be honest with you, what is he going to catch? 
25 to 40 passes a year, probably. He'll be on the field a ton to block. But like measuring tight ends is really going to come back to the receiving ability. And I think he could be a good starting tight end that has good receiving ability. But you already have Dawson Knox. Are you really going to be able to maximize his skill set in the first round to a, a level that you feel like you've got appropriate return on that investment? I think you'll have to question that. So I like the idea. And I, and I don't even know if I'd hate it. I could probably talk myself into it being a very meaningful thing for the team. But like tight end two with pick 27, you'd have to really, really use it. So if you're going to be 12 personnel heavy and he's going to play a high percentage of snaps and provide value as a receiver and a blocker and open up more scheme, possibilities and and it's going to be used okay cool fun idea but if he winds up just being like a a blocker that catches like 15 passes 20 passes a year I don't think that's going to convince people that you did a, a good thing with your first round pick so I'm a little bit in obviously how it all plays out would matter a ton but you could see some of my concerns and reservations as well All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast and this week. Next week is going to be big. NFL free agency opens. There's going to be player movement. We're going to talk all about it here on the podcast, so don't miss anything. Make sure you're subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great weekend. Go Bills, and I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.